Hello, and welcome once again to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. I am joined by two real academics from actual institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from the Norville Rogers School of Veterinary Medicine here on the beautiful Hubel campus. Today we're talking about everybody's best friend, the dog, and the question of just what it means when a dog wags its tail. Actually, we don't really know what tail wagging means. So what about the process that separated dogs from wolves and then genetically engineered them, selecting for various attributes over thousands of years in order for them to become our best friend from the Epipaleolithic period onward. What does all this symbiosis mean? Helping, herding, and guarding are the dog's main utilitarian functions, but dogs also assume mythological associations, and at some point they became more than functional, more than just animals, creatures that crossed back and forth from the natural world to the human world. That sounds good. But there are also negative views of dogs, like in the Bible, and Cerberus, the three-headed dog who guards the underworld. He keeps the souls in. Anyway, having a relationship with the dog means a human has to be altruistic and protective in return for its services and loyalty. So maybe we're talking about a process of co-evolution. Dogs helped humans become human in more complex physiological, economic, and psychological ways than we realize. If that's the case, then maybe we need dogs more than ever. Okay, lightning round. One good name for a dog. Oh, hmm. I, I can go to my list. <laughs> okay. Does anyone have a list? Um, yeah. I don't have a list of dogs' names. Everybody knows my, my uh, favorite dog name. Um, no. What's your favorite dog name? Shulgi. Wow. Oh, yeah, Shulgi. Very good. Very good. Um, Only I had a dog. I've got a couple. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I like Clyde. I have Shulgi. <laughs> I have Shoopy. Shoopy. One of my favorites is Chuckmuck. Chuckmuck. <laughs> uh, okay. It's almost up there with Ekmek. Hmm. Those are good. Ekmek yeah. and Shu. The, 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 the only two words I know in that language. <laughs> oh, and Bobka. Oh, wow. Interesting. Bobka's a nice name. Yeah. yeah. I think I have nothing for this lightning round. I've really never, never really given dog's names a thought. Um, I, I've known at least two, maybe three dogs with the name Winston. Mm. Wow. Um, that's a good solid name <laughs> come on Rachel you have to come up with something I mean I I would say Shukululuyumash because I've always thought that would be a good name for any any pet right. uh, 
and I guess it has to be abbreviated to to Shoopy. Right. Um, yeah, um, and that's not bad. That's not bad. But yeah, that's otherwise you have to go. I would have to go after like famous dogs like Snoopy, but I've never liked that. So yeah. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, um, our nephew has has two dogs. One is Winston. The other is Assad. Wow. And a, f a few years ago, um, Assad was bitten by a poisonous snake and was in the hospital. And so I started getting all these um, WhatsApps or, or texts saying, Assad was bitten by a snake. <laughs> and I kept, I kept imagining some somebody at the National Security Agency going, what? Assad bitten by a snake? <laughs> and this making its way up to, to the White House. This is how it started. This is exactly how. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I think the whole idea about naming a dog kind of makes it not a thing. Yeah. Once you give something a name. Exactly. Right. Uh, could you still eat it if it had a name? No, of course not. <laughs> I should clarify for the listener that, that this podcast does not endorse eating dogs, <laughs> no matter what your cultural background but um, the load is done. <laughs> I mean, we eat we eat things like I don't know that are named flossy, I suppose. Or oh, that's probably well, we don't really. Well, I ultimately. I but... mean, I mean, I think I think you would be hard pressed to know an animal, have it named, and then nine months later, you're yeah. responsible for killing it, cleaning it, cooking it, and serving it. Yeah. People do, though. I mean, people, you know, homesteaders and, and people who live in homesteaders. Don't you watch that show? House in the Prairie again? Yeah, no, don't you watch that show, Homestead Rescue? Yeah. <laughs> you would enjoy that. Um, um, anyway, but but people do, and, and it, it's supposed to make you really appreciate your, your meat more um, because you knew your meat. Um, oh, but that you're. I think that that's an interesting point about um, our relationship with the with the animal kingdom. Um, it's not the wild kingdom; it's it's part of our social social circle, so to speak. Right, right. And but <laughs> to bring this full circle, this all relates to the topic du jour, and that's domestication and and dogs. Yeah, and how they became part of our of our family, and. Right. And boy, are they ever, because we give them names like Shoopy and Winston <laughs> and uh, Tucker, yeah. for example. Yay, Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll play him this podcast. He'll, he'll, his ears will prick up. Right. Um, okay, so who who has the uh, the the article in front of him? I, well, I suddenly I, lost I, it. I, 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 me? Yeah. Oh, you went sort of went into a the, the ether there for a second. Sorry about that. Are okay. we talking about the article about dogs? Why do dogs wag their tails? Or yes. We, oh. Well, let's. I thought that'd be a fun place to start. Okay. Okay. So there was an article about why dogs wag their tails, um, and uh, and uh, apparently it is thought to be linked with other preferable traits like tameness or friendliness 
Um, well, it might be linked. Might, might be. be. All of these might. articles were very uh, circumspect about the exact relation because ultimately it seems the reason why this is such a hot topic is because there's they really have no idea why. Right, uh, right. Dogs wag their tails. And obviously at this point, it's, you know, part of the, it was part of the, whether conscious or unconscious, the selection process of domesticating these animals. And now we have the, you know, it, it hardwired and inbred that yeah. they whack their tails, but there's not a whole lot, it appears, of consensus on how or why they wag their tails. Well, I guess how is a little bit better known, but certainly why. Right. They know how. Right, right. No, it's but, more but, the why. Well, yeah, right, the why, but yeah, and, and the how in the sense of, you know, wagging this direction, wagging that direction, which might mean... I, I thought that was very interesting. So there's, there seems to be some kind of thought that if... If, you, if they wag their tails to the right, it expresses curiosity. Left is uncertainty and low wagging would be insecurity. And there's also this theory that um, rhythmic wagging was selected for because humans like rhythmic things. And, <laughs> and um, yeah. we're, you know, we just selected for these dog, the, the dogs that had could keep a beat <laughs> it could keep a beat <laughs> yeah i didn't like that theory that just seemed ridiculous but it, but it's not the because earliest, they're happy yeah well, dogs is the earliest bass players <laughs> right. <laughs> right right um what i what i liked about this article is that um dogs are wagging their tails to communicate as opposed to other animals um like whales use their tails for swimming and um horses to get rid of flies it's a whale of a tail Oh. <laughs> right. I, I thought all of those kinds of things were a little bit dopey because, you know, whales can communicate by singing. So right. once you have a modality <laughs> that is actually... more, more, you know, high functioning and better, you're going right. to lose the modality of wagging. And the other thing is, is that, you know, whales are f far from each other when they communicate. So right. wagging their tails wouldn't really, you know, do much. Right. But, um, right. That's all true. Right. Yeah. Right. So what, what impressed me about the, this article and then going back over some of the literature about dog domestication is A, um, how little we know about the the selection that went into dog domestication. Yeah. Um, B, um, wow, it goes really, really way back. And yeah. there are uh, burials of humans with dogs in the Natufian period at Ain Malacha and Hyonim and well, dogs are hanging around the Upper Paleolithic in Germany. Right. Right. And I think like 35,000 years ago in China. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um but the the upshot being that dogs like many animals but really dogs <laughs> are are completely have been completely engineered right just um and not simply for for their tail wagging um capabilities yeah. but for millions of different attributes um that humans find advantageous um though, though a lot down. of that came much 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 later much yeah, much much later breeds right. are much 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 later um yeah. No, but that's that is an interesting point. Um, and the other, I forget where I read this, um, but 
the the wolf dog divergence happened earlier than domestication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which right. they talk about proto domestication going back to the Upper Paleolithic around thirty five hundred and morphological domestication occurring around fourteen thousand BP. Right. So there's this very long kind of period of gestation where there's some kind of co-evolution or domestication going on. Um, and that's, you know, for tens of thousands of years. And then finally you get morphological domestication. Right, right, right. And I thought that was very interesting just because they sort of started or wolves sort of started to evolve into dogs before humans got involved. Um is how I was right. They sort in a way they sort of domesticated themselves or they started themselves down the path to domestication. Right. That's the whole kind of commensal domestication process, right. which they find them, you know, humans and dogs or wolves find each other in context with each other and, you know, start figuring out behaviors that will, on the dog side, you know, allow them to stay, hang out, you know, get some food. And on the human side, you know, what advantages right. um, do they right. so, so a wolf at 40,000 years wouldn't understand a dog uh, uh, 10,000 years ago. And the wolf 40,000 years ago would be saying, just, just rip the guy's face off. <laughs> just eat it. And the dog would be saying, no. No, <laughs> I got don't a sweet the hand here. You. <laughs> you don't understand. They give me food. They let me chase animals for them. I get lots of exercise. You know, I, I get to sleep in their beds. Well, maybe not, maybe not at that point, but. The proverbial three dog night. Right. <laughs> and. Um, it is a very symbiotic relationship. Um, right. With all the theories that have developed, they're all kind of symbiotic relationships. I thought one of the most interesting things was the discussion in one of these articles um, about how we've always assumed that they were domesticated for their functional aspects, helping in herding, helping in hunting, right, in guarding. Like those are the three functions that they perform in in early societies and really, you know, up until quite recently. But right. then one of the one of the articles discussed how because dogs are associated with burials and because there are these mythological associations with dogs to the underworld and dogs as companions mm -hmm. and then there was oh and then the relationship of the dog to Sirius, the dog star Right. Um, that these mythological aspects of human dog relationships suggest that they were domesticated for their symbolic and for their, you know, um, non utilitarian functions, but more like for things like companionship and symbolism and things like that. And while I don't really buy that argument, because I think. I think they had to provide some sir, some service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At some level, I think that there's something to that. You know that 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 is that's a part of it. That's a part of why we showed so much interest because they did present as really good companions, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they did present as a way 
sort of in a liminal state between wild animals and, you know, sort of predestined in the, in the proto-domesticated time period between 3,500 and 14, 35,000 and 14,000, they, they presented a window into the chaos of the wild animal versus the order that humans were trying to sort of impose on their environment during the up, you know, especially towards the end of the upper Paleolithic. And dogs had this like middle role, like they were animals, but they were animals that were friendly and could be controlled. Right. So I think, I think there's a lot of possibility of that as a, a as opposed to cattle yeah because right right Cause cattle are big and they don't you know they're not so cuddly cuddly yeah yeah um, you but, that, but... Out, though you can you can find things on youtube of you know cuddly cows who <laughs> right. don't sleep until you pet True. them you know there's all that right. right well so the the dogs are the dogs are part of a whole suite of species that are engineering themselves and and engineering the humans and the humans are engineering them and the humans are engineering themselves into a different series of relationships that culminate in these kinds of you know mythological representations we don't really know what the dogs think of us mythologically but um <laughs> you know cows and cattle have their kind of myth assume a certain mythos and represent certain kinds of things with respect to i don't know wealth and power and meatiness yeah. and stuff and, like and that inability in trim and and yeah meat and dairy and yeah right in, in addition to their formal characteristics like being large and meaty and delicious and being able to carry things and haul and drag and right. milk and stuff like that but but dogs, I don't know. It's just the I mean, cows of cows, cattle have been heavily engineered for formal characteristics. So you got your Guernseys and your Jerseys and right big, big right. ones and little ones, and they can't actually milk themselves anymore. <laughs> um, but I don't know. How do you get from? a wolf 40,000 years ago to a little teacup dog being carried around in a stroller. Well, today. that, but that's all, let's like, I, I really think we need, we need to remove that the whole breeds and, yeah, it's too late. and all that that's later fetishism. Yeah. That's a whole sort of, okay. Teacup dog wise, right. But, right. but, but also breed wise, I mean, when they started making these, when they started playing around and creating breeds, that's a, that's a distinctively human fetishizing of something right, but you have you have know. breeds by the bronze age you have a limited number of breeds but it, i mean from what i was reading in the articles most of the breeding and new breeds really started in the in the middle ages that that makes sense um but you have salukis basenjis those are ancient breeds right you um, have you I have dogs that can run fast yeah and but, you have dogs that can you know rip somebody's face off on command and herding, hunting, and guarding. Herding, right. hunting, and guarding, right. But those breeds seem to emerge, you know, somewhere, I don't know, 5,000, 4,000. And that still leaves a solid 8,000 years from the <laughs> advent of domestication. Right. So right. again, well, but, I, but one thing that's interesting while, you know, while we're kind of jumping backwards and forwards in time is when you were talking about ritual um, uses for dogs, so dog cemeteries in the Persian period, 
I don't know why <laughs> I don't know why I never associated this with ritual because obviously the, it, it is, but um, you know, it's a much later than domestication right. by tens of thousands of years, but um, but there's something about dogs that made for uh, uh, burial worthy things <laughs> by by the Persian period, at least in the Levant. So. I don't know what to make of that. Um, and the other thing about dogs and um, ritual is, um, and yeah, you have the dog star and you have you have um, dogs associated with with underworlds and all sorts of stuff. You have cats as gods also in Egypt, you know, but no one's really domesticating. I mean, can you domesticate a cat? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have domesticated cats. There's, there's a big discussion whether uh, actually whether cats are domesticated at all. Well, that, um, I mean, behaviorally and and morphologically, as opposed to just being, um, you know, providing a certain. A certain function. Uh, there, there are divergences between Mediterranean cats. Yeah, and, but morphologically, they have been cats. domesticated because they're of a size and docility that is completely different than wild cats. Right. But you know, there's not. sort of in this. There's the discussion is sort of in this range of feral behaviors. There, so cats are not going to like you know. I suppose some cats will come up and lie down in your lap, but they're not going to you know meow at you as you come in the door i don't know i've never owned a cat either but no, they do all no they cats do stuff no, they're just do, not do as... cats bring you your slippers <laughs> they were very little if they, yeah, <laughs> do, cat, do cats slippers. guard your your house no but right. i rest so, my you case. know i mean dogs seem to be friendlier seem to be more no, they are they absolutely are but it's i don't think you can say cats aren't modern cats aren't domesticated okay but uh, but again that's the same kind of uh presentist bias that that you know we've been deriding with respect to teacup dogs um cats do come a little bit later in this domestication sequence as i understand it right um you know you you have certainly in 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 egypt and in the bronze age and then mediterranean cats and they disperse from from there and their divergences but um you also don't have the same kinds of Morph morphological differences until later, you know, mm. hairless, <laughs> um, this, right. you know, Manx, uh, right. this kind of, uh, this kind of stuff. And they just have one job basically. No, catch, mi I mean, catch mice and be nice. Two jobs. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, they're very comforting. Right. Right. Human beings lower their blood pressure by, petting and stroking animals that's like you know very well understood so there are these kinds of these kinds of functions that clearly in antiquity people didn't understand or appreciate but they clearly understood there was some benevolent aspect to this but right. but hunting pests is a huge deal that's true and that right? is actually in antiquity or pre-modern in general that's yeah i mean you know in agrarian societies animals that kill rodents which dogs do not do Dogs try to befriend rodents, <laughs> but you know, cats try to kill them. That's a that's a really big, um, uh, that's a big important job. That's a good point too. That's a good point too. Well, I only brought up cats, you know, in contradiction to two dogs because they're the two the two main pets, at least in this country today. And uh, 
they're very different. Um, that that was the the point. <laughs> when I was a when I was in first grade, um, uh, as a a little Amish boy in Pennsylvania, um, there was a girl in my class. Her name was Mary Little, and she lived on a farm. And yes, she did bring um, a lamb to school one day. <laughs> I I swear that this <laughs> that this happened. Um, That's a very good story. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not a great story, but um, but I I guess my point in taking you back to the <laughs> to the to the nineteen sixties, early nineteen sixties, at that is that um, you know we we form relationships with lots of different animals right. we we humans and yes we engineer them and we dominate them and we eat them and we rely on them and we love them and we or we hate them um but we're different from them and maybe part of the understanding of the process of becoming um culturally human or mentally human in prehistory was precisely this this process this this separation like um i'm <laughs> i'm a human and these all these animals that i have very increasingly specialized relationships with or differentiated relationships with uh and you know whereas whereas before i ran with the herds i was one of them i am one with the <laughs> I'm one with, uh, you know, the, the lambs of the prairie or the, the lions and things. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I just, just like think, I, I don't think about it a lot. <laughs> I want to reassure. I want to reassure. There's a couple of things going on. One is, one is the whole domestication process, especially with animals like cats, but especially dogs. How much was, you know, was subconscious, unconscious? decisions mm -hmm. that are being made and then all of the sudden <laughs> all of a sudden they're like the wacky the dog is ultimately the wacky neighbor you can't get rid of them right they, they you know like you wake up in the morning and it's like oh they're there you know <laughs> they're still there and okay well if you're here i'm going to feed you mm -hmm. and right. my child my children have become attached to them because they're because they're small and docile mm -hmm. and unlike sheep and goat that also start out as small and docile you know, they have a very, very specific role, and that is for their primary and secondary products. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to get in the way of that. But dogs don't have that. But maybe it's the same thing, really. You kill you when when you when you have a herd of sheep and goats, and you're a late Epipaleolithic or or early Neolithic <clears throat> interactor mm. with these animals. You kill off the ones that are too oh, yeah. uppity you kill oh. off the ones that don't have the fat tails because you notice that oh the fat tails fat tails make more fat tails this sort of thing maybe it's the same thing with dogs the lazy one just <laughs> he's too lazy to guard mm -hmm. enough of him <laughs> or her well maybe well maybe except when your kid loves the lazy one because they move slowly and thus can be you know hugged and you know played with and everything else I just think that um, that with dogs, there's there is a lot of coevolution going on from early on, and then we have these, um, you know, dogs probably helped in the hunting and 
right of, of animals that that never get domesticated like right. gazelle and yeah. and yeah. uh antelope and things and like hares right hairs. yeah that was mentioned um, more um yeah so so i want to turn the conversation slightly for a minute and this is from a different article, and I didn't read this part of it carefully enough, but having said all that, biblical references to dogs, okay? So so um, they are, um, they're, they're mentioned as scavengers, they're mentioned as guardians of villages, they're, um, they're, they're mentioned um, as, uh, they're, they're equated with evildoers, um, there's the stuff that I've never really understood about um, uh, Gideon's warriors uh, lapping up water like dogs, and they're selected if they do lap or if they don't lap. I don't remember, um, but that's another reference. And um, do laps—that's a different animal. That's a different animal. <laughs> so I, I just—and I mean, I think what I was—the article I was reading was trying to redeem the image of dogs, but they do come out as kind of negative. I mean, I guess guarding, guarding dogs, that's, that's a good thing, but, um, and, and I, hurting, and hurting. Right. Right. I, th I think the article was trying to suggest that a dogs are found in much greater quantities than we've imagined mm -hmm. uh, that we've noticed. And that suggests that they are, that they are, you know, sort of a welcome part of the, of the society or that they're at least tolerated to mm -hmm. a, a great degree. And then, you know, again, there's all this evidence of burials. And right. as you mentioned the in the Achaemenid period. So um I think the point of the article was there are these there are both negative and positive images of dogs okay. in the Hebrew Bible. Caleb, the name Caleb comes from dog. Right, 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 right. So and that there's been an emphasis on the negative without really appreciating the positive images in the Hebrew Bible and then the archaeological data, which supports, if nothing else, there are lots of dogs <laughs> roaming around. And right. they seem to be, if if not enjoyed and, and appreciated, certainly tolerated. Right. But there's also the fear of dogs. I mean, isn't Jezebel ripped to shreds by by dogs? Um I mean, I think there's I think there's both. I think they're tolerated, sometimes appreciated, but there's also a fear that they're maybe more feral than than they should be or that then you know you should be wary um, well i mean again i think the article is just pointing out the, the positive yeah. aspects of canines as opposed to as opposed to tearing jezebel's body yeah sure. as opposed to all the negative ones which always get brought up right okay okay that's all <laughs> Well, varying cultural attitudes towards dogs exist in 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 all societies, I suppose. Mm -hmm. That you know, dogs are sort of a double sided double sided sword or mm -hmm. two sided <laughs> double stick tape of some kind, or Anna's headed dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you know maybe that's if if I knew something about uh, about that, um, but. You know, look at our attitudes. We we in our society we love the cutesy, fluffy little things, and we love the loyal, the 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 loyal lassie. But there's a real um, <laughs> fear and prejudice uh, regarding um, pit bulls, right? Right. So that's a very complicated issue. Well, it is. I mean, I don't understand it, um, except that sometimes 
they and and even other dogs kind of go haywire. There's and even a question as to whether there's actually a breed refer as the pit bull, or if it's been other breeds that have been just used for fighting, and they get called pit bull. Oh, but it's a it's that's a pretty complicated and heavily sociological kind of area. But wouldn't it be in in, in all periods? By by analogy, and not saying I don't know what that what that would be with respect to different <clears throat> different breeds or at least the different um capabilities of of dogs well in other time periods for instance dog fighting was sanctioned and fine and accessible right. so those fighting dogs would be bred and they would be sequestered because everybody knew that fighting dogs would kill you if you got if you messed with them so nowadays right. we don't have fighting dogs but we have dogs that have been bred for fighting and we also have people who are taking dogs that they think are bred for fighting and still fighting with them you know what i mean nowadays it's very difficult i think in the past it was more sequestered mm -hmm. right you know louis couture's was not was not walking around with a pit bull but <laughs> there were fighting dogs throughout europe that were you know kept in honed and separated from everything else. So there was, I think, a little bit more, maybe it was a little bit more specialized than it is today. Mm -hmm. um, well, I'm just thinking about where where um, various negative images of dogs could come from, like the mm -hmm. ones that Rachel was talking about. Um, what's, um, what's in Greek literature about dogs? <laughs> in our next hour question there <laughs> well you know um uh, i don't know there there's uh i couldn't say mythologically but aren't they represented in 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 art as faithful companions and hunters and mm. uh stuff like that and uh chasing the hare and Okay. These these sorts of things. So, uh, but but some people must have been downright terrified of them, so especially okay. if you were like a slave who got a dog sicked on you, for example. Right. Well, right. Um. So it's just interesting to me how the the different encodings of of animal experiences enter various various cultures, particularly you know what we think of as well, what we think of as you know biblical culture for is a very limited series of experiences uh, very by a very limited number of people yeah. who wrote a very, a very limited literature. <laughs> but, you know, and other, I'm sure that there are law, Mesopotamian law cases, like your dog killed my sheep, your dog right. ripped my, you know, my kid's right. arm off or something. Or you killed my dog. Or you I killed my dog. A very valuable hunting dog. Right. All these, all these kinds of things. Your ox cart ran over my favorite dog right, <laughs> right. <laughs> um whose whose dog got got gored by the by the ox right so to speak um but so are our animals a, a better window into um into human society than we think well this was one of in the antiquity that a couple of the articles kept stressing was that we need to figure out 
We need to better understand why dogs do things like wag their tails, because that will give us insight into human yeah. perceptions and behaviors and uh, processes during the period of proto-domestication and domestication. Yeah. And I think that that probably is very necessary if you're writing a grant on trying to figure out why dogs wag their tails. Yeah. But I'm not so sure there's really anything. I don't really know. One article said something about it'll, the domesticate or why dogs wag their tails will give us some idea about, you know, a fingerprint of human motivation in the past. And I'm not quite sure that that's what's going to happen. Right. Right. I mean, I, I do think there's something to the, you know, if, if your hunting dog comes home with you and is wagging its tail and, and looking very happy, um, you're going to feed it. You know, I mean, I think there's, there's an element of reacting to how the dogs are expressing themselves. Um, but I wouldn't go beyond that. I think, I guess it's a little bit, Alex, of what you were sort of saying about, about the process of domesticating dogs in part constructs human identity in that one of the, you know, bottom notes of owning a dog is unconditional love. Right. And how in antiquity, in the upper paleo the end of the upper paleolithic after proto domestication is well on its way having a critter around that gives you ult that gives you complete and total fealty <laughs> and loves you and appreciates you and is doing whatever kinds of behaviors sitting in your lap wagging its tail to the right <laughs> even though no one would have noticed that <laughs> and and licking you there's going to be an appreciation of that in in the chaotic and uncertain world that surely the Paleolithic, Upper Paleolithic was. Right. It was an uncertain time. <laughs> right. And and I think that that's, you know, a central part of it is that these animals are so loyal and so, um, you know. And useful. And attractive and um, loving. Yeah. That that's going to make for a better, richer <laughs> domestic life. Right, right. Well, but isn't that in some sense making you more human? Yes, exactly. Your... I, said. I started by saying this is your point yeah. of it's constructing human identity. You learn to love. <laughs> <laughs> we break the dog helped you break through the barriers. I know what it feels like to love un unrestrainedly. But it also it's it's more than yes, it, it is that obviously first and foremost. But it's also um, incre increasing your generosity. You're giving mm, mm, mm. something of your, yeah. you know, you're giving your food to which the dog may or may not have helped get, but in, in agrarian societies probably helps a little less. Yeah. You're giving your, you know, your resources to this dog. You're sharing resources with this dog. And, and that too is, you. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And, and that too is making you, you know, more human and constructing a, society that is a little bit different than it would have been without the dog. So it's that there's an aspect of altruism and, and stewardship of, right. of. It would be nice to know if, if billionaires, not if billionaires own dogs, because I'm sure they do, but if they are the ones actually taking care of the dog, are they walking the dog? Are they feeding the dog? Or is the dog just around and the squadrons of 
staff are doing that? Does Jeff Bezos take his dog out every day, not once a week, but every day, twice a day for a walk? Yeah, no, clearly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Or does he go visit the kennels where his prize-winning yeah, hounds exactly. are are housed? Or does he ask Alexa to, you know, fetch the dog so that he can have five minutes of canine time at the end of a short, engorging day in which his <laughs> net worth has gone up $8 million in five minutes? Right. Right. But there, it, there is still, even with that, a symbiotic relationship because he's getting something out of having the dog and the dog is getting cared for. And um, and in antiquity, um, it's very much, you know, the dog's going to bark if there's danger and I'm going to feed the dog. Plus, it gives me comfort. Um, I, I, it's already yeah. demonstrated that it won't eat my prodigy. Right. <laughs> so I right. can keep it around. Unlike that that bad attempt of keeping a wild ox in the house. <laughs> that was a bad idea. <laughs> right. But people do have pet pigs and pet sheep goats. Or pet pet sheep. I don't know about goats per se. <laughs> uh well, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, people have pet pigs until they get really big. Right. Right. And then they get rid of them. Right. All these people who thought they bought pot-bellied pigs and right. learned yeah. that they were, you know, completely taken for rubes or <laughs> just sold regular pigs, who, you know, upon approaching two to three hundred pounds, had to be, you know, taken out of the house. Right. right. Good point. Yeah. Never mind the people who have tiny baby alligators and then flush them down and they live. Yeah. Themselves. Well, right. Yeah. But also people who have pet sheep or goats. Those, I think, and there are a lot of people that have them, but they're not, it's not a critical mass of people mm -hmm. who have them and who, it's not, it's not intergenerational. It's <laughs> not, oh, I had a, you know, I did a 4-H project and I had a pet lamb for a couple of years, you know, right. and then that becomes a behavior that you replicate over and over again and it, you, you know, bring to your next generation it's a very, you know what I mean? It's very different. It's more idiosyncratic and it's more, um, it's more of an outlier than dogs. Right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. There, there probably, there probably are some pet llamas in Manhattan apartments. Sure. There's <laughs> but I, I wouldn't want to know about them. No, there's a pet ferret and God knows what. Oh, you know? ferrets is a whole craze at one point, right? Right. Yeah. And it's illegal because they're right. so. Right. But one thing we haven't raised is that dogs have a muscle in their eye, <laughs> unlike wolves, that allow them to arch their eyebrow area in a way that makes them seem like they're listening and paying attention and responding. And uh -huh. that we as humans respond very much to that arched eyebrow. It makes them so much more human. And it makes them, we can project so much more easily that they're listening to us and, you know, <laughs> part of the conversation. And I, and I was surprised that I, I don't know too much about that whole arched eyebrow thing, but I know it exists. No one's, no one brought it up in any of these articles, but yeah. <laughs> um, maybe it's more that. of a modern. It's okay. worth bringing up. And if, if the listener knows anything about it, feel free to write in. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're. It humanizes them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anthropo it anthropomorphizes them. And then, you know, the end point of that evolution is, uh, is Scooby. 
<laughs> and, and exactly. The, the symbiotic relationship between Scooby and Shaggy. Right. Right. In which really, you know, it seems like Scooby's calling the shots and clearly, yeah. Shaggy's yeah. just there to drive the drive the van. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that's okay. actually final thoughts. Final thoughts. I'm going to take a final thought based on this whole eyebrow thing. Um, that this is something, maybe it's one of these traits that's really irrelevant to the survival of the species, but that it works because of the symbiosis with with humans. It makes humans uh, want to care for them more. Right. So that would be my final thought. Right. It makes them, be, they can sort of like smile and interact in a way that, I don't know, a crocodile can't. Right. Well, my final thought is this, and this is a riff that's been done by many comedians. So this is not original, nor is it original by the many comedians who do it. But who's, if you were to see somebody scooping up, you know, scooping up poop, putting it in a plastic bag and walking around with it, who would you think is in control of that situation? Right. Uh, who's zooming right. who? Who's right. zooming who? As so in some ways, the say. dogs have really... Um, domesticated us. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, what are archaeologists in the future going to think of all these pooper scoopers that they find? Um, and you know, are we ritualizing our dogs' very excrement? Are <laughs> ritualizing it? There's nothing like seeing, you know, some dowager in the Upper West Side daintily walking around with a small <laughs> plastic bag, <laughs> with their along with their pomeranian, right. <laughs> Alex, final thought. I just I do feel bad for um, Manhattan dogs. You see them out there in the afternoon, and they're all kind of shell shocked and and skittish um, as they're getting their you know one outing of the day, uh, if that. And let them run. They need to run, or some <laughs> of them do. I was going to um, say. <laughs> Some dogs are just waddlers. <laughs> right. Unless <laughs> unless they're designed. four inches high and they've just been engineered to chase rats down holes or sit in a in a baby carriage for you. So but they make us human. They they, us they taught us to love. <laughs> and on that note. And on that note. Well, after this episode, I think we all deserve some Scooby snacks. And so as always, we'd like to thank our music director, the artist still known as Erez Dessel, for our theme music. Look for his performances in the Chicago area and beyond. And why not follow him on Instagram at 54BPM? We'd also like to thank our sponsors, the Dumont Television Network, a division of Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems. Be sure to watch The Pet Shop on Saturdays at 7.30 p.m. And so, to get in touch, leave us a comment right here or hit the little heart shape button. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ThisAncient, as well as on Facebook, or you can contact us via email at ThisWeekInTheAncientNearEast, it's all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.